on digital radio across the UK, online and in your ears right now. Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd and thanks so much for downloading or listening or accidentally clicking on this podcast from Union Jack Radio. If you're familiar with my work, you will know it is my burning ambition to take up as much memory as possible on people's smartphones in the name of Lebensraum. Now, if you haven't come across Union Jack before, it's a new national radio station. And if you're thinking, oh, that's a bit Brexity, or, yay, that's a bit Brexity, it's not. No politics, just celebrating British music and comedy. From David Bowie to David Baddiel, from The Specials to Shazia Mirza, from Amy Winehouse to Paul Whitehouse. So, on to my new show, Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. And we've been planning this for a long time now. A lot of work has gone into it. I would say we've covered the back of at least three beer mats and one envelope. So, I really hope you enjoy it. Each episode, I'll be taking a trip down memory lane with some of Britain's best-loved comedians as they tell us tales of terrifying teachers and tormented teenage years and peculiar parents and so on. And since Union Jack have got better things to do with their money than send me off gallivanting with my guests around the country, we're doing it indoors with an iPad and Google Maps. I know, very modern, right? But don't take my word for it. Here's a quick montage of the first series. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Series 1 stars... Stand-up comic, winner of So You Think You're Funny, performing around the world, Tom Allen. When you're a teenager and you've got all these boners... Well, to distract myself, like in swimming, I would go through my scales and arpeggios. And... <laughs> Comedian, regular panellist on The Right Stuff, and featured on Bear Grylls, The Island Celebrity, Shazia Mirza. There was a woman in front of me wearing absolutely nothing but a butt plug. Five days later, they banned the burqa. And I just thought, hang on a minute. They banned... <laughs> there, there are things to get to before the burqa. Stand-up comic and regular performer on BBC TV and radio, Simon Evans. I have had a broken nose, but I broke my nose with my own knee. <laughs> and comedian and musician, regular panel show guest and star of the BBC sitcom Uncle, Nick Helm. If I could talk to your friends when you were 15, like, and I said... Oh, uh, good luck finding them. <laughs> Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Nottingham. Originally called Brythonic in Celtic times, it changed its name to Snottingham when it fell under the rule of a Saxon chieftain called Snot. Obviously, at some point, someone pointed out that's not a great name and they dropped the S. Now, the city is closely linked with the legend of Robin Hood, so it's Nottingham's fault that we had to suffer this at number one for 16 weeks. Everything I do Oh, 
But Nottingham has given us so much more beside. A thriving lace industry for hundreds of years, rally bikes and Heidi High's Sue Pollard. Heidi High campers. <laughs> Nottingham is also the hometown of Matt Ford. Matt is one of our best political comedians. He hosts a fantastic satire show called Unspun on the Dave channel. And you'll have seen him on shows like Have I Got News For You, Question Time and the Royal Variety Performance. And he hosts a live show and podcast called Matt Ford's Political Party, where he's had incredible guests, including his hero, Tony Blair. And then what's it like when you see things like Spit an Image or sort of impressionists on TV and they've picked up on the mannerisms and things like that? I mean, is that... <laughs> Is that slightly surreal to see, or...? <laughs> Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and with the help of an iPad and Google Maps, I'm about to take Matt Ford time-travelling to the streets where he grew up in Union Jack's hometown glory. Matt Ford, let's yes. go back to Nottingham. Oh, man. So, we're looking at a, a map of Nottingham on the screen here in the studio. What, what is the name of the hospital you were born in? Well, I was born in Northampton General Hospital. Oh. Because that's where my mum was at the time. Right. But she's from Nottingham. I was raised in Nottingham, but there was just this sort of anomaly that I was born in Northampton. Well, what was she doing in Northampton at the time? She was... She'd been a nurse then. I think she was back visiting friends. So, it's just a quirk that I was born there. Were you a little bit premature? I'm not sure. You don't have Do the I look it? You, you don't. You don't. Seem no, I don't look like a sickly old strapping no. lad, am I? I was born in Northampton, but I, you know, I'm a Nottingham boy. And, and as your mum described the birth to you, was it was it a difficult one? I was never told that it was difficult or anything like that. So, in the absence of any news on that front, I <laughs> Let, presume that actually let's I just assume you just slipped out, glided straight. I was like a flume. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have siblings then? Yes, my sister lives in Stapleford in Nottingham. She's a year younger. So, who's who's at home? Your mum and your dad. Me, my mum, my sister. So my dad, my mum and dad split not long after, or actually probably a little bit before my sister was born. Right. I could laugh about it now. The norm to me was me, my mum and my sister. So even though I grew up in a single parent family, it, there was never friends of mine that you know had their parents split up when they were growing up in formative years. I think it was far more traumatic for them because their family unit was broken. Whereas it was always just me, mum and my sister anyway. So then my dad, when I eventually. And he's a very good friend. You know, he's a great bloke. You know, it's just that was a bonus. So what you're saying is, though, if you're going to leave the family unit, do do it do it very early. Get it on. done early. Yeah, have a couple of kids and Maybe then get the hell out. The pregnancy. Tara. But he was he was he was he was in Uganda when we were growing up. He'd gone out there to do charity work. Wow. Yeah. And and your mum was a nurse. So she was a nurse. She was a nun for years. She was a nun for 15 years. So she's like Maria in Sound of Music. Yeah. She's, a, she's a nun who went bad. She went, she went bad or, or went good. I think, from what I gather from talking to her, the convent is brutal. Right. Not just in terms of sacrifice, but the bullying there. And the, yes, you can imagine, really. Actually, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be that surprising to people, the claustrophobia of it. So she, she, um, she eventually left, went into nursing, met my dad, and they, they had kids. Were there any nuns knocking about when you were a kid then? Did you we, keep in touch with any nuns? Yeah, we'd go back. So she, she was, she'd been a nun in Kettering. Uh-huh. And we would go back to the convent in Kettering and meet basically her old workmates <laughs> who were all nuns. So it's quite odd, actually, because one of my aunt, two of my aunties were nuns as well. My uncle, who sadly passed away before I was born, had been a monk. Wow. I don't think I've ever met anyone related to a monk before. No. It's a, I can tick it off my bucket list. Yeah, finally. yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, move on to item number two on your bucket list. <laughs> Despite that, actually, and uh, it wasn't like a, an intensely religious household that I grew up in. 
Right. I was an altar boy at the local C of E church. I was an altar boy. My mum had been a nun and other members of the family were nuns and monks. But it it wasn't a religious family that I grew up in. It sounds religious. Are there any laughs in being an altar boy? I puked on the altar once because I hadn't had any breakfast. Nine years old and just exploded over the over the altar. Was was the vicar sympathetic? Oh yeah, yeah. He looked like Henry VIII, my old vicar, Father Hales. Oh really? Yeah, big rotund ginger bloke, smoked mm. a pipe. We grew up in a part of Nottingham called Snenton. It was Five Robert Street. Five Robert Street. Snenton. And, and can, we'll see if we can get it on oh the screen. Oh my god! Oh but my god! Let's see if we can. Yes, yeah, so look. You can, it's like it Coronation is. Street. It, it is. It's those northern so, two up, two down, yeah. red brick. Oh my um, god! So it's it, and they, they've moved to wheelie bins now, which I'm guessing they didn't have when you we were. We did a kid. not have wheelie bins. Yeah. So you're, basically, what I don't know if you can tell from there, but your front door opens right onto the street. Yeah. Oddly. There's a, can you see that at the top of the road? There's a windmill. <laughs> it looks like there's a dead dog. <laughs> there's a dead dog. Google Street. I, I think I killed that dog. I can't believe it's still there. <laughs> the most surreal thing is that in the middle of this inner city area, which when I was there was hard, and there's a windmill That's... in the middle of inner city Nottingham. There's a windmill, Greens Mill. We used to have. We used to, this is incredible. We're, we're now looking up. What would you What would you call that alleyway at the side of the house? Is there a word in Nottingham for that? Well. I don't know. That's not a twitchel, is it? A twitching. You see, we have a word ginnel. A ginnel. That's slightly, slightly further northern. north. But the the thing is, that top road, the bit of that top house there, that wasn't boarded off as it was there. So there was no ginnel or twitchel. Right. That was a huge garden. So that whoever's living at number twenty six is that <laughs> has lost that part of the garden because that's where we used to have um, bonfires and that there, and uh-huh. the whole street would go. So was it one of those streets where everyone knew everyone else? Everyone knew everyone else. Who who was on either side of you? So we had Phyllis to our left, who was a lovely old lady, who I once um, I once got with a fake cat turd. I'm not sure she'll forgive me after that. And Phyllis, her backyard, which is just like a, a concrete square, she filled it full of flower boxes and she grew herbs and some, all sorts of things. It's just this explosion of colour. And my mum on our back wall painted an entire mural. Really? Of like a castle with meadows. And it ended up like in the local paper. So everyone else just had this Coronation Street brick. And then out these ne- these two next to each other would, would be this hot... You could, everyone knew where we lived. Because everyone was like, oh, it's the one who... Is your mum a larger-than-life character? It seems to me that she was a nun, then she was a nurse yeah. in, in days where there perhaps weren't that many single parents. She's, she's a yeah. single parent. She ran a uh, charity shop for the homeless in Nottingham for a long time called Emmanuel House, which was as the name suggests, Christian-based. But she ran the charity shop, so I still meet people to this day who are like, oh, are you Josie Ford's son? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, she used to put your posters up in the, you know, the local comedy club would always be allowed to advertise in there for free because, you know, her son <laughs> did stand-up and whatnot. So I in Edinburgh occasionally, like a young student would say, oh, I, I um, volunteered for your mum in Nottingham when I was... Right, like, right. <laughs> so that's lovely, you know. Would you get to rummage through the stuff that was donated to the charity shop before it went on sale? No, she was, she was a Brian Clough-type parent where she treated her kids harsher than you know she, there was no favoritism so did that so my mum was also a nurse did that extend to being a nurse when you were poorly like oh she's she, the best nurse but when you were like a little bit poorly my my mum oh. had very, very little sympathy other kids oh. would be getting the day off school she would have very oh. little sympathy exactly the same i broke my wrist once and i don't think we went to hospital for about three days <laughs> and she felt really guilty because where the break was the bone had then become slightly inflamed <laughs> i think she thought oh god you know this has gone this mantra has gone too far her dad my granddad who i was very very close to and really was a father figure in the early years of my life he'd been a prisoner of war right to the second world war a japanese prisoner of war so 
some kid falling off a climbing frame compared to, <laughs> you know, four years with an absent father fighting in war. You think, well, it's no wonder that they think our generation's soft. Where was the local park? Snenton Park, I suppose it's called. It's on the park. other side of the windmill. Mm. That was the first time I rolled in a dog poo. <laughs> mom, you, you ju- was this an accident or something you made a decision to do? I rolled down it and went through a poo and um, my mum hauled me into the visitor centre to berate the park keeper <laughs> for letting dogs... I mean, the poor guy was like, I'm just one man, you know, what can I do against this... Part of the re- I've only recently started to appreciate dogs. My girlfriend's a big dog lover. Right. And I lived with a friend for many years who was a great dog lover. And it, it, it turned me around. But the only dogs I'd ever encountered were Doberman and Rottweiler. Yeah, there were, met- there were a lot of them around. There were no collies or, you know, West Highland Terriers where I grew up. There so were no did, were there, greyhounds in Snenton. Were there, were there any pets in your family? We had goldfish. Right, and names? Yeah. <laughs> Psycho after Stuart Pierce. <laughs> the goldfish called Psycho. We had a we had a pet rabbit. We had a couple of guinea pigs, but right. nothing. We never had a cat or a dog or anything like that. And with your what's your sister's name? Ruth. With her being so close in age to you, yeah. at different stages in your childhood, sometimes that's the that's a great thing, and sometimes it's a terrible annoyance, right? Oh yeah, we're quite different people. Were you um were you a TV off or a TV on house? We d- we didn't have TV dinners if that's what you mean. Right. So, so would you have to eat your dinner at the table? We'd eat our dinner at the table. Maybe one week a year where somebody would come round to clean the settee, <laughs> and and then we had to have dinner at the table. But the rest of the time we were allowed to sit on the um, settee and watch the telly at Who the same time. Who would clean the settee? Somebody like one of my aunties had some machine. Oh wow! Some set- carpet cleaning shampooing device, and once a year we get to borrow it or that she'd come round and do it for us. And then it's like, from now on, we're going to have dinner at the table. No more settee for yeah. us. And it had last about a week. But you you were always up there, so you dinner and a chat. Dinner at the table, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We would watch telly. We were allowed to watch telly. It wasn't... What weren't you allowed to watch? My mum banned me from watching the A-team because it made me violent. <laughs> So, how did how did that manifest itself? I would like tip over the chair, maybe get a bit rough <laughs> with my sister. I mean, it wasn't. I didn't shoot or stab anyone. Like I wasn't. It was never serious. But you know, the A team is now on every day on a channel called Spike, which is part of the Channel Five network. And, and I, I and, and I record it every day. You do, yeah, because yeah. often it's best to leave those things untouched. It's brilliant. It's so, brilliant. In Edinburgh this year, during the festival, I watched it every day. Wow. I watched, I watched about 25 episodes of the A-Team. And who do you see yourself as? A face man, a howling mad Murdoch? A Murdoch, Pepper. I guess. Murdoch. I mean, Hannibal's the, Hannibal was my favourite. Mm. But I'm probably more like Murdoch. Apparently a, a terrible human being, George Peppard. No! Yeah, apparently Don't so. tell me that. That's not true. Like one of the worst people to work with. No! Yeah, very difficult. So you weren't allowed to watch the A-Team. What wasn't frowned upon by your mum? Football was fine, cartoons and things. Well, anything with guns in my mum was really against. Guns and violence were probably worse than sex. So n- nothing like that. I mean, she wasn't was... letting you watch a lot of erotica. Let's, let's oh, God, clear. no, we weren't watching. <laughs> <laughs> but that was her big no, was, was stuff like that. I mean, I lived in the era of video nasties. That's what they used to... So there were, maybe a millennial has accidentally tuned into this. Can you explain what a Video Nasty is? Video Nasty was an 18-rated film that was particularly violent. So there were things like Chucky, Child's Play, maybe The Terminator you'd put in that bracket, but then real odd horror and gore. I mean, there was a real period where that was the movie culture at the time. So you knew friends' houses, you could go around to watch that <laughs> stuff. Mine was never it. I wasn't allowed to watch any film that was beyond my age. Right, right. Couldn't watch 15 if I was 14. 
Were you a, a music house? Were records on a lot? Not really. My mum would sing, and she liked. Um, so Johnny although Cash. I've got to sing in "How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria," <laughs> <laughs> she would sing. Um, Johnny Cash was on a lot, and that's where I get my love of Johnny Cash. And she liked John Denver. Uh-huh. And I had to find my own musical taste really for myself. But I've definitely got into Johnny Cash through her. If you were in trouble, what was it for? Was it was it this violence post eighteen? No, it was maybe. Uh, I remember my mum got annoyed with me for just leaving stuff around you know it was right, always yeah. like not tidying up was probably the biggest one i think there's there's a, a generation of i hate to say i think it's predominantly men whose mothers were obsessively clean and tidy oh man but who themselves and i include myself has ended up as slobs because the mums would would tidy up anything you left around which leaves you as somebody who likes being in an uncluttered environment but you've got no idea to how to create it yourself i'm I sort of fall into that. What I definitely do is I do the washing up quickly. Right. Love getting the washing up done quick. I like ironing. Love ironing. Ironing's one of my, uh, washing up and ironing are my two favourite chores. So did you have to do chores as a kid then? Yeah. Right. Oh, come on. Nice. I'm already going to church on a Sunday because of you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Crikey. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Coming up. Things get personal. You're a nightmare. Your older brother's a nightmare. Your older, older brother's a nightmare. And Matt talks about his underwear. Oh, God, it's barely changed, actually. We'll carry on our stroll down memory lane in just a second after a quick message about Union Jack Radio and what Union Jack is and why and who. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Hello there. We're Union Jack. First time listening to us? Welcome to the family. We play the best of British music. Best of British comedy. <laughs> Don't panic, you stupid little plonker. Don't mention the war. I have a cunning plan. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> and you lot get involved too. Tally-ho, it's Union Jack. Anyway, back to the main event. Mr. Jeff Lloyd. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Taking a trip down memory lane today is Matt Ford. What was the, what was the name of your primary school? It was St. Stephen's C of E Primary School in Snenton. It's on Windmill Lane. And it's, it's still there? I think it is still there. You know, occasionally, I'm sure people do this, I'll go on Google Maps and just like walk around my old area. Yeah. So it's at the top of the hill. Yep. There you can just see it there. And there it is. It looks quite leafy. I wonder if you just go... Oh, yeah. That... Oh, God, it's barely changed, actually. So it's like a sort it's of... As a, it was. A, a low, uh, low build sort of 1960s yeah. school by the looks of it. Funny old school, that. In what way? Because it was very warm and the teachers were brilliant. But the kids were mental. I was there was a lot of bad kids at that school with parents who didn't care. Right. One of those schools where there was a kid from you know kid, families that have a kid in every year. Lots of older brothers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you're a nightmare. Your older brother's a nightmare. Your older older brother's a nightmare. The teachers were fantastic. I remember some specific. There was a guy called Mister Byers who was really funny. He would tease you a bit, and he was a Man City supporter, and he was a great teacher. We had a guy called Mister Stark who was great. It was a 
CV school, but I'm sure really no different to other primary schools at the time. It was a quite a gentle ethos. And they were just really nice teachers having to deal with like children from hell. What is it? There's some there's a building opposite the school I can see it's on a the pub. Screen. That's the Queen Adelaide pub. And like so my, my my instincts tell me that is a rough pub, am I right? Oh yeah, I've never been in there. Right. I mean, you I mean can, it's I currently mean, boarded boarded up. It's boarded up but. and some of the letters are missing. I mean, all the pubs around there were rough. I remember like saying to my mum, because oh, a lot of kids at school would talk about the pubs their parents went to. They'd always be sat outside. Poor kids just sat outside a pub all day while the parents got drunk in there. Yeah. And uh, we went, there was that. There was the Jester down St. Entendale. There was the Fox. I don't think my mum went to any of them. She was just like, I don't go to the... Who, who was the first friend you made at that school? Martin Orange. How did you... you Martin you, Orange, who had orange hair. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, easily yeah. remembered. Yeah, yeah. How did you befriend him? I think it was through Thundercats or something like that. That was the TV show. We were in the same class, just got on together. And uh, quite like Forrest as well. That was... are, you, are you still friends with Martin Orange? No, I don't. I don't speak to anyone I went to primary school with. You've shed them. You've you've managed. It became to... difficult. I think we ended up falling out, and he. I've seen him since, so it was lo- it was lovely to see him again. Um, but I think. It's just one of those things, at that age you become friends and then sometimes you just end up hanging around with other people, don't you? So I then went to a secondary school in a different part of town and that was that was, that was was it then, really. You mentioned uh, Nottingham Forest then, so yeah. is, is that something that's almost just in your DNA? Can you remember not being a, a fan of Nottingham Forest? So the first game I went to, I think I must have been seven, so I got in early. Being taken to my first game, my granddad was a Forest fan, so I had a season ticket with him. It was It was all through family. Just the most one of the most profound experiences of my life, standing on terraces at the age of seven. What felt good about it? The sheer amount of people there, and watching people in the flesh you'd seen on telly. Stuart Pearce, who I'd watched in a World Cup, is then in front of you. You'd named a goldfish after the man. Named a goldfish after <laughs> the man, exactly. Yeah. So, just seeing these people. I mean, when did you ever see anyone off telly? And then they're there doing the thing you saw them do. Yeah. And not only that, there's just people everywhere, and they're swaying around and they're singing and shouting rude words. I immediately fell in love with everything about it. And there was never a dalliance with another team. So oh, no, not at you're all, You're talking man. about the sort of late 80s here, so I'm guessing like Liverpool would have been the big team at the time. Yeah, it was. I think the first game I went to was in either 1990 or 1991. So maybe even Manchester United. And, yeah, and I guess no some question. of your schoolmates, their heads were being turned by yeah. these other teams from different towns. Yeah, of course, yeah. Of but course. not you. I remember some lad at school supporting Leeds. Right. In the summer of 90, like called Anton. Came in in a Leeds kit after they won the league in 92. So what are you doing, mate? Living in a city, Nottingham. It's like, get away with that in London. <laughs> Not that I thought that then. I didn't know what London was, but just couldn't believe it. Oh, there's never been any, never any question. What What is Nottingham Forest's headquarters called? <laughs> <laughs> the City Ground. The, is, ci- the is, City Ground. Is the home of Nottingham Forest Football Club. So if we look at that on the screen as we are doing now, does, does that feel sacred to you? Oh, it's just so special. I mean, look at that. That looks like an old-fashioned football ground. That's the Trent end there, you can see. Yeah. That was terracing when I first started going. I used to stand... Yeah, that one there that he's clicking on, that's the main stand. That's broadly that, unchanged. corrugated iron? Yeah, that's broadly unchanged for about 100 years, right. that stand. It's great. And what was the, the pitch diner? The pitch diner's <laughs> a, an ill-fated, I think, attempt to <laughs> make it a, um, a sort of dining hub. The thing is, there's not... What you've got there, that's in a part of town called um, West Bridgeford where, I mean, it looks lovely, doesn't it? Picturesque right by the river. <laughs> right, yeah. You've got Notts County. If you just keep rotating, you'll see Meadow Lane on the other side of the river. There it is there. Look, you see those floodlights? Yes. Two right. closest football grounds in England. Aha. Uh-huh. The only two closest in the UK are Dundee and Dundee United in Scotland. And it's, it's funny, like, Nottingham is, is a relatively small 
Oh, it is city. I mean, you only re- I only realised that when I moved out. Yeah. So, so at the time when you're in Stenton, does yeah. Nottingham Forest does that feel like miles away? Is it like a whole adventure to go there? We could we could see it if we went to the park. You could see the ground from the park. Right. And from our house, you could hear the roar. Yeah. On Saturday, it's magical. And we would walk to the ground, so it didn't feel that far away. No, okay. So we we lived qu- relatively close to the ground. And is that where we're going to have your ashes scattered one day? Oh, at the forest ground, I hope so, yeah. It's, it, I, <laughs> the thing is with that, I, I think it's very hard to explain in this modern era where most football fans are consuming it through TV, including myself. I watch more on telly now than I ever did, and I watch more games on telly than I go to. The, the, the profound impact. It's almost like taking a child to Glastonbury or to an Oasis gig or something really big and loud. Yeah. And then saying you can come here every week, pretty much. That's where it's forged, you know, that, that raw addiction. And you're allowed to do... North- My mum would always say to me, you can hear some bad language, and it's fine, because people swear, but I don't want you repeating in the house. I was like, sort of allowed to hear this stuff. So, do you remember saying it for yourself for the first time? I remember getting told off, because I had a, I had a season ticket in the Trent end, which was then terraced. Rough as hell. Yeah. Uh, with a friend of mine, Dean Thompson, and his grandma's fella used to take the three of us, and he'd always said to me, in the sort of way that a primary school boy would say to his mate, are oh, you allowed to swear in front of Lee? He doesn't mind. Well, I must have just been going crazy. Because on the way back one day, he said, look, your language is really bad. People keep looking round. You can't keep swearing like this. And I was just shocked because I was a well-behaved young lad but thought, well, everyone's doing it at football, so God knows what I've been saying. But it had really troubled this older gentleman who was taking us. I remember the game as well. It was Forest Charlton, right. 93 94 season. I was like, oh man. And I came back and I was shell shocked. And I was like, you all right? I was like, yeah, it was just a really emotional game. <laughs> Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Taking a trip down memory lane today is Matt Ford. Talk to me about so so the other thing you know if people know anything about you know maybe they don't apart from what they've seen on TV like you were this Labour Party guy you worked in the Labour Party yeah. later but you got into it at a really young age oh, too young yeah, so yeah. how did that happen I just remember watching I remember Thatcher leaving so I must right. have been about seven and I remember the ninety two election so I must have been about nine. I just remember them being profound events. I remember, I mean, you can sort of see how you'd get into it growing up on a street like that, realising that life was unfair. Growing up around troubled people, even as a child, if you fairly switched on. But the sort of the leap was... from seeing your circumstances and seeing the sort of town you're living in to th- thinking about what a political party is and seeing people like Neil Kinnock or yeah, Roy yeah. Hattersley on, on the Kinnock, television. Definitely. That's what I don't quite understand, how you, how you got from one thing to the other. I don't know how I made the leap, honestly, but I just felt very early on that the world was deeply unfair and obviously then you see Labour politicians, as I did at the time, talking about the state of things. And you think, well, that person really understands this. And I can't honestly remember a specific speech or anything like that, but I remember my mum saying, oh, you know, we need Labour to win, really. Because I'm from from the way you're describing yourself, I'm not seeing this particularly weird geeky child. No. But if I think of a seven-year-old getting into the Labour Party, that, that is an eccentric kid. Yeah, I remember having a sticker on my window for the '92 election. I chased the Labour guy down the street in the in the van with the loud hailer. Right, so I mean, stick, us, stickers are a, fun, give, right? Gives a roll of stickers, yeah, and stuck them in my window next yeah, to the yeah. forest ones and just the crap ones you got for local radio stations. Yeah, yeah. Do they still do. I mean, I don't know. There was some very alluring about stickers yeah. to a child. Yeah, 
So, so at what point did you sort of think about it in terms of it being something you could involve yourself in? I joined the Socialist Worker Party when I was 14. Did you really? Yeah, so that must have been... That was under a new Labour government. So Blair had got in. Yeah. I was a big fan of his, but I was, at that point, felt that I was to the left of him. I was like, right, I'm going to join the Socialist Worker Party because the world, you know, there's going to be a revolution. I totally got intoxicated on it. Totally believed a revolution was imminent. So I was going to these meetings with like these radical communists, <laughs> reading Marxism today, like selling the Socialist Worker in town. So you were down, what was the shopping precinct? chased pre- by police for what, fly posting. What was the shopping precinct called? Of Victoria Centre. And were you one of those three blokes in a donkey jacket shouting socialist worker then? Yeah, Mark, I remember going on a protest about nurses' wages in 97 or 98 in Market Square with all these, you know, as you would imagine, that they still look like donkey jackets, old men with beards. Yeah. You know, really angry. And it was, it was then, I remember them saying... We're gonna. I, I went to their national conference. We had to travel down to London in a transit van that had no seats in the back. So we stood up, and I just thought it was the most exciting thing. And I remember people getting up at this conference saying Tony Blair is a fascist. This is '98, so this is way before. This is honeymoon. We're, we're well in the honeymoon honeymoon period. Yeah. I remember even then at 14 thinking, "This is. I'm not sure. I do think that. Yeah, that maybe is a bit too far." And it, then I tried, and then I joined the Labour Party and was like, "Oh crikey!" I drifted right quite quickly, <laughs> and then settled sort of centre left. Then, so what was your what was your secondary school called? That was the Beckett. That's in West Bridgeford. So this was a really odd site. This was t- this was two schools that I think my mum had been to, and one had been Corpus Christi and one had been the Beckett, and then they'd merged before my lifetime. So the school was split over two sites. So there's a main site on Ruddington Lane in Wilford, and an upper school site for the sixth form. That was on Wilford Lane in Ruddington. Right. But that, that upper school site basically was owned by monks and was then they then wanted it back. So both sites have been demolished and now it's an academy on a site vaguely equidistant between these two places. So sadly the old buildings don't exist, but the upper school site was both of them were just a mess. Right. They were they were not they were falling down. And and the, the upper school site was a mixture of proper old school school. Serious the cane didn't exist anymore, but it was definitely so. A it's place. red brick, Victorian, horrible, creaky old central heating with a boiler that break down in the winter. Yeah, backed yep. onto the Trent, so it regularly flooded. Yeah, although they wouldn't let us go until like the water was literally inside the building. <laughs> and this was in the this was in the noughties. That was two thousand and one. Anyway, other parts of the site were literally houses. So I was taught history upstairs in a detached house that was part of the site. <laughs> literally. I tell you what. Let's see if we can find it. Cause that bit might okay, not so be demolished. We're looking at the the. So that's the new the site. New that's the academy. So yes. I think it's Wilford Lane in. Was that Ruddington Lane in Wilford? Or that's that... Wilf- Wilford Lane by the looks of it. Oh yes. Let's go to Wilford Lane in Ruddington. Okay. So just turn round. Just spin round. Did you just recognise that by the hedge? I think so. Go to that top. Can you see the? So just and then come back. 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 Keep scrolling down here. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. We'll get down here. I'm getting a sense of you as somebody who would be very good at giving directions. Do you think? Yeah. Sorry wait. about this. I've gone. I've taken you the long way around here, but it's worth <laughs> it. <laughs> that, right. You can see the chimney. So look where that red. There. Yes. Yeah. 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 That is a house that I was taught in. We were taught in there English. Downstairs and history upstairs, and it was like it's basically like they'd evacuate the house and just put chairs and tables in there. That's so weird. Who was your history teacher? 
I had a phenomenal history teacher called Mr. Kelly that I was very lucky to have from year seven to the end of my A-levels every year. So many people from high school remember this lesson where it was a big Man United fan and he'd drawn, this was year seven, and this has stayed with so many people he taught. We came in one day and he'd drawn a football pitch on the blackboard and he'd drawn a Man United in a 4-4-2 formation and at the time we were studying the Romans and he taught us about Roman army movements based on Manchester United's 4-4-2 formation. This is, I mean, he sounds like one of those Robin Williams Oh, it was out Dead of this world. It was brilliant. Teachers. And he was like, it's not the man on the... It was t- telling us about reconnaissance missions. Yeah. It was like, what they do is draw the enemy out and then you, you know, you burn down basically a hut on the edge of town. They all run to that and then you take the citadel. Yeah. It's like, it's exactly the same. It's like, Giggs isn't the problem, it's Paul Scholes. <laughs> it's like, as long as you're watching Giggs on the ball, you're not, you haven't even got your eyes on Scholes. He just goes into the box. Like, sir, this is amazing. <laughs> even the girls who at the time were not into football were like, this is out of this world. It was the most thrilling lesson I've ever had. What was the shop that we saw on the way to the, the school that you were going to tell me something <laughs> that about? That was Rivermead. And that had two separate owners in my time there. One who would make the same joke every time I went in, where if I went in with, like, a friend who was a girl or any, or, or there was any girl in our group, he would make a joke about having a Kit Kat so that I could give someone a finger. And God. this was when we were like... I remember saying to him, I'm 14. You can't <laughs> make not that appropriate. joke. And then it got taken over by this other guy, and he said... Uh, I, used to, I was quite chatty as a kid, and he said, oh, do you know anyone that's got a printer because I want to do a direct mail shot? And I'd sort of, you know, I fancied myself as sort of like a young Alistair Campbell at the time. So I was like, I'll help you draft it and I'll, um, <laughs> I'll print it for you as well. He's like, all oh, right, great. He said, well, so... Now, all I had at home was just a, a crap PC and a really bad print, those printers that took ages. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh, I want you, you know, I need 200 of them. This thing took ages to print, kept running out of ink. And I just thought, I'm going to get a couple hundred quid out of this. And he came round and was like, um, so, uh, a tenner? And I'd like I'd slightly lined up to go to the cinema with a mate. I was like, right, we'll go to Showcase. We've got Frankie and Benny's. This is on me. <laughs> I was so shocked I didn't know what to say. And it was a real early lesson yep. in agree the price first <laughs> and never underestimate a smiley face to rip you off. You know, never underestimate what people's real yeah, motivations yeah. are. And I think he got halfway into town and then came back and like gave me another tenner because I think he realised he ripped off a kid. He could see in your face. I was like, oh, uh, it really put me off him. I didn't go in there after that. I was just like, did you ever have a paper round? I did, and it was for Brian Clough's brother. Oh, How wow. Cool was that, Gerald Clough. So what, what what was your round? My round was... So this was when we moved to uh, Bramcourt, just outside Beeston in Nottingham. So it was Ulam Lane. It was... Le- oh, my God! So this was incredible. So I did a paper round that was my road that I lived on. Ulam Lane in Bramcourt, and then it was... I think it was Marshall Drive... And then there was a, an old people's home called Leicester House, which was on Ulam Lane. And I'd have to buzz in, and then it was really good because they'd all have a paper and all the doors are just next to each other in this in this complex. And I do remember, I remember, like, you know, sneaking a look at page three or whatever, like yeah, yeah. a 14-year-old boy, like, oh, crikey. But I remember going in one day, and Gerald Clough, who sounded just like his brother, had that real Brian Clough away, said, uh, he said, Matty... He goes, I, I hate to ask, but I've got to ask, did you steal a television yesterday? <laughs> I was like, no, no, of course I didn't. <laughs> Basically, TV had gone missing and they blamed it. They blamed it on me and he, he totally backed me up and was like, you'd know if. I mean, how would he carry it? Yeah. I couldn't carry the bag. <laughs> 
Weekends. Did you have a paper round? Yeah, I did. Uh, Supplements. Sundays. Oh. oh, my God. And Thursdays when the local paper came out as well because people had one boat. They'd have yeah. twice as many papers that day. Awful. Uh, but great fun of paper round. Get up early, whip round. Yeah, it gets the brain going. I always envied those kids who delivered the free papers because they could just dump them over a hedge. Yeah. No one's going to complain about not getting the free paper. But then I wanted to work for Brian Clough's brother. Right. Gerald Clough. What were his tips like at Christmas? Do you know what? I can't remember, but he would occasionally just let me have an extra chocolate bar or something. So I'd pick up my wage and go, oh, you sell to a chocolate on the way out, young man. <laughs> oh, cheers. What age did you realise you were good at impersonations? Quite young. I started doing football ones at school, at primary school. I'd do ones that I'd heard on videos. Like Who was your first Pierce. one? Stuart Pierce, I think, was my first one. And he had a cockney... What Pierce would do would put words together. I think he was quite a nervous interviewee, oddly, given how uh, strident he was. He'd say things like, uh, yeah, you know, we go to a place like Cholton, you know, not the most glamourable of places. <laughs> but words that only football are glamourable and all that, you know, I'll chaffed over the moon and all that. You know, it's been a great season for us, you know, at the end of the day. And you get, even as a kid, when you start impersonating people and you're doing the same phrases over and over, you realise then that people have verbal tics. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, the boys are done well, you know, taking each game as it comes, you know, we're playing the Arsenals, the Chelsea's, all that. And all that, even at a very early age, I was like, most of these people are talking absolute rubbish. <laughs> could it's you, nothing. Could you do like uncles and teachers and things? I could do teacher. I did a couple of teachers and did the Who was, who was your best one? This guy called Mr. Edwards. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> he was the deputy head. Right. So it took, that was almost, you know, in an American film, that would have been my moment, really. You know, where you feel like all of a sudden, you know, your, your standing at school has transformed. You've gone from in this sort of quiet, Quiet, chubby, scruffy boy to still be in that, but m- more people are talking to you. Can you give us a bit of Mr. Edwards? What would he say? He, he would he would ask himself questions to go. Do we want to improve standards of the school? I think we do. And he would do this whole thing. What was another <laughs> he one? He sounds like Paul McCartney. He has got a bit. I've, maybe I've misrem. I've I've that's probably aged badly. A lot of people at the time said it didn't sound like him. But I, what I've got, <laughs> I've got the essence of him. I've, right. I've got the essence. <laughs> Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Hey, Unspun is back on the TV. For people who haven't had the good fortune to see it yet, can you tell them what it is? It's a topical political comedy show uh, on every Sunday at 10 o'clock. I sounded emotional then. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I've just wanted call- my whole life. Every and Sunday. I'm finally on the Dave channel, <laughs> 10 living my Dave. dream. <laughs> <laughs> I got... Sorry. My, my voice caught a little bit there. That's all right. I mean, you know, sometimes it's good to take stock of what you've achieved in your life, isn't it? And also, you're going to be on tour from March onwards. Um, now, this is the, the, I was going to say it's the show you've done in Edinburgh last year, but the very nature of the show, and it's acknowledged there in the title, which is... A show hastily rewritten in light of recent events, again. I, I, I'm guessing that that show can look wildly different from one month to the next, never mind since last summer. Absolutely. I have to just write all the time. So there are bits of it that, that stay that I particularly like and then the rest of it really is is very topical. So you're the one person hoping that Trump doesn't get impeached. Oh, mate. So I that he'd have to write new material. I need him to get re-elected. <laughs> he's keeping my career afloat. I don't care what he's doing to the rest of the world. He's been very good for me. I mean, when people say, what a politician's ever done for me, I'm like, I've got a TV show out of these people. <laughs> They've been brilliant for me. Never mind, never mind the impending nuclear war. <laughs> I get to sit behind a desk every Sunday. I'm sure most people would agree that is a price worth paying. All right, we're, we're running out of time. We should do another one of these. It should really be a two-parter. But um, 
If if you could travel back in time and see Lil Matt and <laughs> any of uh, any of the different stages, like which stage would you want to meet yourself? Oh, young, very young. Right. So I want to. I look at pictures, and a lot of people say this. I've got pictures from my childhood. I don't look anything like me. And I think if you make yourself as a teenager, I'm not sure really that I'm that different. Yeah. So I would like to meet myself at primary school and just just observe myself. And you get to demolish one one building or structure in Nottingham. Oh, the Broadmarsh Centre. Tear that monstrosity <laughs> down. I mean, they've, they've te- they're currently tearing down the car park. Yeah. But it is... There's a really nice shopping centre in Nottingham called the Victoria Centre, which is the nicer bit. But Broadmarsh is, is, is just, I mean, as the name suggests, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was built in a, not the best part of town. Rip that bit down and regenerate it. It's the first thing people really see when they come out the train station. It, it sets a tone for the city. And I just think we need to open that whole area up. Nottingham's one of the, the coolest places in the UK. Oh, I'm not sure that it is. Oh, it is. Sure you it rotter. Is. And it, it, needs to, it needs to be given that. People need that gateway into the city that really lets you know that you're in somewhere. And you happening. get to see one place. Un- so you're travelling back in time, so it's untouched. It, it's, it's as it was in your childhood. Where would you want to see again as it was? Oh, I suppose it'd have to be something that's not there anymore. At the Beckett School main school site, the Beckett, I'd like to go walk around the old corridors because I bet it would feel a lot smaller now. I bet, yeah, that's what I'd choose. I'd choose the Beckett Main School site, I think. Is that a cop-out? No, no, it's not that's good. Yeah, I'd like to go around, yeah. It'd be like going, it'd be like, I'll tell you what it'd be like, it'd be like going on the Titanic or something, wouldn't it? With one of those little probes. <laughs> Matt Ford, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Exclusive to Union Jack. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. And that's that, our first trip down memory lane on Hometown Glory. My thanks to the wonderful Matt Ford. You really must go and see him live. He's fantastic. He's on tour throughout the country, throughout the spring. Uh, You can see his show Unspun on Dave and his show Political Party happens in London very much every month at a venue called The Other Palace. And thank you so much for listening to my new Saturday job here on Union Jack Radio. The last time I had a Saturday job was in a chippy in Macclesfield and I was fired after two weeks because I kept dropping the food on the floor. So hopefully this will last a little bit longer than that. Fingers crossed. Make sure you tune in to Union Jack Radio on DAB and online. Our next guest is Saturday the 17th of March and it's the brilliant and very suave Tom Allen. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. We interrupt this programme for an important announcement. Union Jack Radio plays six decades of the best of British music and lets you vote for it. Download the Union Jack app or on the website and pick which song plays next. million votes and counting. This is Union Jack.